Hello everyone, this is Matt Ryan, and uh, here on today's podcast, uh, All Roads Lead to Real Estate, I wanted to go over some uh, the basic discussion related to my personal investing criteria, why I do it, a little bit of how I do it, and I probably have said a version of what I'm about to share on this podcast no less than 500 times. So it's interesting that I'm finally going to have a, a version of a recording of what I say because it's one of the top questions that I get. And the hard part about when you invest in real estate is that there is not one way to do it. So I'm going to outline a strategy that has worked for me. It is a hodgepodge of what I've learned over all these years. And it is not something that I could say is Matt Ryan exclusive. I'm the only one that's ever thought of this. No way. Uh, in fact, I consider this to be one of the um, safest ways to possibly invest in real estate. It's a secure way and it's done in such a manner that the risk associated with it is exceptionally low because by my very nature, I am a conservative person. And, uh, and I've learned the hard way. I've been to rent court. I've had horrible things happen to properties. I've bought in areas I shouldn't have. I've done many, many of the things I'm about to outline as not, what not to do. Um, I've learned through personal experience. And so yeah, I've done all I can to safeguard myself from going out there and doing the wrong thing. And at some point you just have to jump. You, you just have to take a calculated uh, risk, something that's appropriate and go for it. And so what I'm about to share is what I do. So I'm saying that with five asterisks at the end of this is that I'm not an accountant. I'm not your financial advisor. All the disclaimers I can have. This is my personal approach. It has certainly worked for me. It has worked for many clients that I have represented and have taught this strategy to. And so what I hope can come from this experience, if you're listening to this, is that you can add it to your own repertoire, right? Your own learnings, and maybe you'll take a few pieces and adopt it in your own world and go from there. So, um, so this is what I, this is what I'll help describe. Is a base, let's start with why. So, why in the world would you want to invest in real estate? And so, I can tell you, someone like my wife Rebecca, who had zero experience in this prior to have, having met me. And uh, well, I say that I've met her when I was 18 years old before I had anything in college. So let's not say that. How about before I get got married to her? She had no idea about any of this. It's probably a more accurate statement. And the reality is it sounds risky. It sounds scary. It's where do you start? What do I do? That doesn't sound right. I don't have the money for that. There's a million things that are going to pop up in your head. And I also have found people that have become what I call like a reluctant landlord and that's they've lived in a home for a while they don't know if they should sell it or rent it and uh, I know nothing about this but guess what I'm just gonna throw a rent sign out there and let's rent this bad boy and then they figure out the hard way of what this all is and they've that is not usually the best experience for them and that reluctant landlord I have helped buy many of their homes personally by the way because they had no idea what they wanted to do. They never thought it through. They didn't price it correctly. They got the wrong tenant, all the things, trust me. And uh, and so you don't want to be a reluctant landlord. I personally have sold every home I've ever lived in and I have not rented it. So someone, you're listening to someone who loves rentals, 
has a portfolio and has never kept anything I've lived in. So, and the, and the reasons for that are as I'm about to describe, none of them met the criteria for what I consider to be a great rental. And they were too expensive. They were a little too nice. The ratios didn't make sense. Let them go, get my capital and I can reinvest the capital when I sell it into something that makes an appropriate rental. So going back to the whys, I can tell you my degrees in finance, I'm extremely nerdy to the extent that I listen and read the quarterlies in the stock market. I thought I'd be uh, in all, I thought I was going to New York, right? I thought I had dreams. That's what I was going to do is go in the financial world and be in Wall Street. And so I learned enough about that to know the people that I worked and saw and and even had internship opportunities with, they were miserable and they had no life in my opinion and they were just not happy people. And I said, if that, is that what I'm going for? They're rich, is that? So maybe that's the pain you have to go through to get what they have. It wasn't worth it to me and I switched to do something that earned well, which was medical sales. And I did that right out of college because I thought, it had the money component of what I was looking for. I've always been ambitious. However, it didn't seem quite as miserable is the truth. And so with that, I started looking at real estate right away and buying my first property at age 22 and starting that journey. And so it it financially offers, real estate in general financially offers advantages that are very, very challenging to find elsewhere. And it comes back to tax advantages because taxes, are something that rich people in general spend a lot of time thinking about. And they they ensure their portfolio and their financial plan considers it in just, I mean, it, sometimes that's the whole plan, is to find out how to properly invest to avoid paying an unnecessary share of tax. And so real estate, once you start to understand what these, quite frankly, rich people that wrote these laws uh, have done uh, to protect themselves from paying additional taxes to keep the money working, you have to do it. You have to follow it. And so that's uh, just what inspired me is, is not only is the rate of return fantastic, but I can shelter majority of it from taxes and I can push through certain terms, which I'll use like a 1031 tax, tax free exchange. I've done that and utilized that process uh, in the past several times to avoid paying taxes today. You can push it down indefinitely until one day you die. And then it's a whole different set of problems. But I'm gone. It's I'm not going to be my problem. I can live the rest of my uh, life not having to pay, a, quite frankly, much in terms of taxes with a fabulous rate of return. And so some of the things that I want you to become familiar with, because everyone should continue to educate themselves on what, what is a rate of return when it comes to real estate. And so cash flow is something that most people are familiar with and understand. So cash flow simply means I have payments. I might have a mortgage on the property. I have taxes uh, for property taxes. I have insurance on the property. I have all these things, the maintenance on the property, all of that goes into your expenses. And then you have rental income and you just do a subtraction. And right there, folks, is, is going to be your cash flow. And you look at cash flow pre-tax and cash flow after tax. You have to look at both, but that's primarily what most people think of when they think of real estate investing, specifically in rentals. And so there's other types of income that you have to consider. And I've created spreadsheets for myself. I, I utilize it with all of my clients prior to helping them determine what's appropriate for them. 
in terms of what's a sound investment. Um, however, that's one piece, right? Cash flow. The next is appreciation. And I, I correlate appreciation as dessert. It is not my main course. I will not personally invest just for appreciation. I'm not doing it. I believe appreciation for the pure purpose is almost like speculation. So if I bought a home that didn't cash flow at all, maybe even negatively cash flowed, people do it. People do it all the time because they say, well, listen, that's an area that's going to gonna go crazy. Like it's going to, it's going to double in value in two years. That is very speculative. I'm not doing it personally. So if you want to do it, God bless people. Like I said, don't, don't hate on me. That's just my philosophy. I'm not doing it. However, it's a dessert. It's that chocolate cake at the end of a good meal. It can add up. And boy, it can be amazing. I'm just not going to ever buy a property that doesn't have enough cash flow to merit the purchase in and of itself. So if I buy something, I'm making up numbers here, but for 300000 if I can't sell it, you know, if I don't, if it doesn't appreciate a dollar, let's say, put it that way, and I sell it 10 years later for exactly what I paid for it, $300,000, if it cash flowed properly, I'm okay with it. I got my money back and I did well. And I know my, I didn't get dessert maybe with my meal, but I did okay. And that's important to know for me because I'm conservative that that's how I can, that's how I make my decisions. So you have cash flow. Now you have appreciation. Um, which adds up, and for the purposes of majority, I know the areas in which I purchase, but I use a very conservative between 3 and 6% is my appreciation, the number that I stick in there. Oftentimes, it's more. The last several years, it's been significantly more than that. However, I won't add that into my calculation because I don't want that to sway the decision. So most of the time, I, I'm very conservative. I'll put 3% in my equations to appreciation. And the next part of my return is debt reduction because my tenants will be paying off the rest of my mortgage. And so that debt reduction is going to increase the amount of cash right, that I have when I go and I sell that property. And so that can add up. And so if you hold something for the, if you buy something with a down payment, have a mortgage, pay the mortgage completely off and sell it, once again, if I have no appreciation and it was $300,000, i am going to get, if I sell it for three hundred ten years later, I, have, I get all 300000 now because I have no debt. And so that's a powerful thing in and of itself. They paid that off for me. And so if I add up my cash flow, a modest level of appreciation, at least on paper, and the debt reduction in which I'm accounting for because I can figure out and use an amortization schedule that's online, You'll see how much you're paying down and how quickly. You can add this up, and it's pretty simple math. Anybody can do it. There's a million programs online that do this for you. I did my own because I want to geek out and be able to manipulate each thing and alter it to my liking. However, you can do it yourself. And once again, there's free tools online uh, for you to do this, and you can then start putting in properties that are around your area that you know, whether it's your own neighborhood, whether it's just an area you're interested in, you should start doing the math and you could figure out what rent rates are in that area. And that can be your rental input for income. And then you can look and get a free quote online uh, for what a mortgage could be and do the math and start running numbers and practice, practice, practice. So when you really start this search, you are educated and uh, you'll know exactly what's a good deal and what's not a good deal. There is no rule that says you have to wait until you are a hundred 
thousand percent ready to buy something before you do this exercise. I would highly encourage you to do it way before you even want to start because that way nothing's a surprise. By the way, you can call and speak to real estate agents, lenders, there's investment groups. You can start that process today to, to get that education level up. So if you're not familiar with the terms I'm describing, they're out there, like become familiar with it. There's really no excuse. So if I look up those three pieces, my appreciation, the debt reduction pay down, as well as my cash flow, my blended average rate of return is between 25 and 40% annually on the money in which I have invested in these properties. Now, granted, majority of that is either tax deferred or tax free. And that's insanity. Now, I would like you to go talk to your financial advisor and say, I want to give you money and I would like to get between 25 and 40% and I don't really want to pay taxes on it or not much. And I, when I go in 10 years and I sell my quote unquote stock or my investment, I want to defer all that as well. Um, it's challenging. They have a couple tools that can do it. They're all in usually retirement accounts. And by the way, you can invest inside of those. It's called a self-directed uh, tax-free account that's within your IRA. You can do it. Um, so you can look into that if you have money that's saved up and it's pretty substantial and you're like, you know, I want to get this working. Trust me, you can look that up. Most traditional advisors might not be super familiar with that, but you can do it. And then you can buy and own real estate inside of your retirement account. It's a powerful, powerful thing. By definition, all your returns are inside of it. And when you sell one day, it stays inside of it. You're not paying taxes there either. So that's a fabulous additional way to, to research and figure that out. But primarily I do it for those reasons, everybody. It's it's the tax nature of I get to utilize depreciation, which is a hell of a write-off. I get to also you know write off all the other components related to my expenses with the property. And um, you have a relatively low uh, tax rate at the end of the day. And once again, when I sell, I'm gonna do a tax-free exchange. That's how I choose to do it. I'm gonna keep it invested in real estate for life. Um, and then I can pull out the money and is if I pull it out in, in a in a format of a loan or a lien against the property and I can get a line of credit against the property, guess what, everybody? That's a loan. That is tax-free. So I fully intend, I'll go on a slight tangent, but not really, one of the things every time I, my wife and I had another child, we have three, I would go out and buy a property. And the full intention is I made sure to put enough down and amortize the loan over less than 20 years so by the time each child reaches that 18 year mark, the house would be completely paid off, at which time we have a decision to make. If they need to go to college, if that's their goal, and we need to help pay for it, we can then have a paid off property. I can then take a lien against the property, a line of credit is usually the way I do it. And I could write, I'd have a checkbook. Lord knows what in 18 years that'll look like, probably not a checkbook, but something digital. And I could then write a semester of college that way. And then just that piece, whether it's 50,000, whatever it's going to be then uh, per semester, I'll have that written off. And that now is the only debt on that property. And my tenants will continue paying it off. I paid zero taxes because it's a loan. So I could write that check. And then the next semester, the next semester, the next semester, I could write it all off. Um, it's a business expense. Um, it's a loan on investment property. I didn't pay taxes on it and my tenants will pay it completely off for me. And so I still own the asset. I didn't sell the asset. Nothing happened to it. 
and I'm still getting cash flow. Once again, rents have gone up over 18 years. I'm still getting money each month and my kids are going to school for free, essentially. Um, it's a it's a really interesting way to think of this. So I encourage you to think of that. I still do a 529 a college plan. I just don't super fund it like crazy like I might otherwise if I didn't have real estate. So I put in a marginal amount, maybe 5000 per child per year. That doesn't add up to nearly enough in my opinion. I think it's around a quarter million dollars is what the projections say per child by the time they're 18. That's not enough, in my, I don't think, to pay for college. So I wanted these properties for each one of them to be able to augment and it's going to be theirs. So I want them to be introduced to real estate. And so that is part of what they're gonna be given at a very young age to manage, to understand, and to learn real estate. Because I think that is part of the gift I have and I hope, hopefully, if you're inspired by this in any capacity, you learn it so you can then teach your kids or those that you care about that are the next generation, maybe what you didn't know at that age. And that's part of what I get so encouraged about with my job is that I think I can do that and I've, I have affected and hopefully will continue to affect a lot of families and a lot of family trees will forever be changed based on what I'm describing right now. It is, it's a tool that is unlike anything you're typically going to find at your normal nine to five job. It's just, you know, it doesn't excite me when you give me a 5% pay raise. My earned income is not how I'm going to retire. And if you're like me and you're self-employed, I don't have a retirement account. I have no 401k. I mean, all I have is a self-directed IRA. I put as much as I can. I max that out every year, but that's not enough in my opinion to retire. So I have to do something. I, I mean, I have to consider continue to invest and do other things if I want to have any quality of life. And I refuse to think I'm going to be of older age and that'll be the lowest income of my career. If I do this correctly, as I age, it, my income goes up, not down. And so all the, you know, the, the tax accounts that typical invest, investment advisors give you that you will get taxed eventually. It's free or tax deferred in the beginning, but taxed at the end. I refuse to accept that, that that my income will be lower at age 65, for example, than 35 or 45. I don't want that to be true. And so I think of things differently. So real estate is a fabulous way to do it. So that's enough of the reasons uh, why, but the why is important, if not proper motivation. Why in the world do you go to all this headache and trouble? Because I am not going to lie to you and say there's never going to be a hiccup. There's never going to be a day where you can't believe you did this. It will happen. Um, don't listen to anyone that tells you otherwise, but the same can be true about the most conservative day job you'll ever have. Everyone tells you you work for the man, it's safe, you got a good job, it's a good paying job, has health insurance, but if you, is someone going to tell you you're not going to get frustrated and want to kill your boss one day, or you are so sick of it, so it's, it's anywhere, frustration is going to be anywhere, anything worth having is worth fighting for, that's what I think, so you have to just do it and try to minimize or reduce your risk exposure the best way you can. And so let's talk about, now that's the why, so let's now talk about the financial side of things. How do you get started? If you don't have a ton of money, where where do you even make this happen? And the very first thing I do, if you're young and listening to this or have folks in your life, children, grandchildren, whoever, that are young enough that want to start this process early, time is on their side. Time is a powerful, powerful tool in the world of real estate, in the world of finance, compound interest is one of the greatest wonders of the world. So it's no different in real estate. So the earlier you invest, 
it almost doesn't hardly matter. Every real estate decision, for the most part, not all, but the vast majority, 20, 30, 40 years from now are going to look pretty darn smart. So you can buy a very basic, very average house that's not in the best neighborhood. Typically, on average, in 30 years, it's going to look good. You've made money. So you could do this blindfolded and be okay. But boy, you can do really well if you do this with intention and purpose. So if you're young, you can do this by living in the home yourself. You can be an owner-occupant in the home, and that by far is the least amount of money in a traditional sense you can put down. You can put zero down in some instances, or 3% down, or 3.5% down. It's very, and there's grants available to you oftentimes. Uh, I know locally in Maryland, I've done this many times where people put virtually nothing into it and they've lived in it. And you're eligible to then rent it after one year. That's all you have to do. And you can do it again. And they can count, the, by they meaning lenders, lenders typically count 75% of the proposed rental income of the property in which you currently live in as current income to offset that mortgage to allow you to get pre-qualified for the next one. And so you can do this and acquire multiple properties at an early enough age. Boy, you're looking pretty when you're relatively young. I mean, really have options. And that's the most exciting thing. It's not that we can't help someone that's of retirement age or 60 years old. It's possible. It absolutely is. And we do it. However, boy, is it easier when you're 20 or 25. So I'd encourage everyone to start as early as you can. It's the old adage, when's the best time to plant a tree? I believe the answer is 20 years ago. The next best time is today. And so plant the tree, start learning about this and doing this as soon as you possibly can. But if you can buy a home with grant money and or very little down, the numbers are incredible. I mean, incredible uh, to do this. And you can repeat it. If that's not your situation and you're maybe in my situation now, we are very secure. We have kids. We have school. It's all these things. I'm not picking up and moving every 12 months to buy another one. Um, I say that. I probably should also add if I had zero other opportunities to do this, I bet you we'd probably change our tune on that as well because you will do what's necessary if the reward is great enough. That's the way I view it. The things we'll do for our kids and for our future selves, um, it might make sense to do it. But for me personally, I'm very, very, very grateful that that's not our situation. And so we're not going to do it. And so I have to now save 15 to 25% is the rough average of a non-owner occupied home that's an investment property. And so 25% down is like that magical number where it's the least expensive way to borrow the money because it's most attractive from a risk tolerance standpoint from the lender. So I personally put 25% down. So the reason I don't have 300 homes right now, it's because I do this in such a conservative fashion and I put 25% down every time. And the criteria for the homes that I'm about to describe, they're not super inexpensive. They're in good areas. They rent really well. They're, I'm very selective in what I buy. So I'm going to need approximately $90,000 out of pocket every time I do one of these. And so I, I wish... I wish I could buy five a year. I can't uh, based on my other expenses and my current lifestyle and all the rest and my business. So that's the only deterrent for me at this point um, to just buy up everything I possibly can. So 
you, there are ways to acquire the money, and that is what a good loan officer and or realtor can help you. So if you have the desire, the will, and the will to do it, we will find a way to make it to make it happen. Because there are ways to, if you own a home, to borrow against your home, to get a line of credit, to even if you rolled out your Rolodex of all the people you know, sometimes there's people that have money, high paying earned income jobs that don't know what to do with it. Or there, I've seen people put over seven figures in a checking account earning 0% interest. I've seen it many, many times. Um, in fact, I have clients currently that I just saw this when we were buying a home. I saw what they had in their checking and I about cried for them. How long has that been in there? Oh, for years. Wonderful. I mean, there are like uh, Goldman Sachs has a, a program currently in 2023 that pays almost 5% on your checking or savings account, folks. Um, so it's out there right now. So please don't have 0% in your checking account. It's crazy. Um, and so there are ways to get money. I always say if there's a good deal, you can contact a guy like me. I know lots of people as well. If it's a good deal, people go towards it. And so sometimes people have money and not time. Other people have time and not money. Just So there's ways to do it. Um, I, once again, am conservative. I'm going to put that much down. I don't do. There's a million other ways to invest. I'm not going to go down that path of wholesaling, which is a way some people acquire money to buy rental income. I don't do that. I don't choose to do it. There's a lot of sharks out there. There's some good people out there, but there's also some sharks. I just don't choose to go that path, but many people do. So that's an option for you if you want to earn money and not do it. You can also find the deal, learn all these techniques, and find the money when you find opportunity. I'm telling you, that's probably the fastest, easiest way, and people will typically give ownership up if you bring the deal and do all the hard work to, to create the opportunity. So that's, that's a good way to do it. So in terms of the Matt Ryan approach, like what am I personally looking for? Remember, there's commercial. There are so there are real estate investment trusts. There are so many other ways to do this that are all good in their own way. I'm just referring to the way I do it. So what I like to do is I, I like to get an, a townhome. I want something. I know not every market has what I'm about to describe either. But in Maryland, you can find a townhome, something that's attached that I prefer maintenance free. And my preference is an older home that is all brick. I want something that is as maintenance free as humanly possible. That's going to be looking just like that for better or worse. After I'm dead and gone, it's going to look the same. And, it, and there are plenty of them in the Baltimore area. And there's plenty of other areas that have similar housing stock. Um, clearly out West and in, in, in Midwest, these type of homes might not exist, but here they definitely do. And it's one of the reasons I get a lot of phone calls from people that don't live on the East Coast for this exact reason, because I want an all brick home, relatively maintenance free. I look for for replacement vinyl windows. Preferably, I don't do them. My capital inlay, I only want to be that down payment and virtually nothing else. And so that's the way I get the returns I get. I don't typically look for something that needs a significant amount of work. Uh, it just doesn't make sense for me because now I have to put 25% down and put 20, 30, 40, $50,000 into improvements. I'd have to refinance at the end of that with an additional cost to make that happen. I just did this a year ago. So I always try to catch myself in mid-sentence lies, but it, ha it has to be a fabulous opportunity for me to do that. And I had a crazy great opportunity. It's like $100,000 of additional equity when I was done. So yes do it so everything i'm about to say has an asterisk next to it so in the right situation do it 
The vast majority of the time, I'm not looking for that. I want something that's almost perfectly move-in ready. And I, I, I'm looking for more of the blue-collar opportunities. I am not looking for a luxury property. I do not want something with high HOA or condo fees at all. That is 100% crossed off my list. I am not interested in Airbnbs or short-term rentals. Once again, there are tons of people that do well with that. I'm refer, I am a busy seven-day-a-week working individual with small children. I do not want to manage those, and I'm not paying someone else 20% to manage it. So literally the next purchase I'm doing will be, unfortunately, uh, an Airbnb, but it's going to be in the Delaware beaches. It's the only promise my wife has asked me uh, to keep regarding real estate, and that is she wants a beach house. It's our dream to have a beach house. And so it's a two-hour drive for us roughly. So that's what we're doing, and it everything I'm about to share doesn't apply to that, which is why it's kind of silly, but long-term for the family, it's going to be a home we hopefully keep in the family forever into the next generation, but it makes very little financial sense in the short term to do what I'm, that Delaware beach house thing, trust me, horrible idea. But getting back to what it actually makes me money, uh, these townhomes that are brick that are slightly older, but have been renovated, they are, I can rent them and get them ready within a two week period after I purchase them. And because we live in an area that the purchase price is somewhere between 250 and 350 for the homes in which I'm referring to, I can have a low enough mortgage payment that I can day one rent them out for profit, for cash flow to qualify for everything I've described, the reasons why I do this. I don't have to find a diamond in the rough. I don't have to search for three lifetimes to find one deal. I could shop today and i did i toured this it's one of the reasons i'm doing this podcast today i just toured this with a family that was referred to me that lives near dc and i've gone over everything i'm describing here we created all the steps necessary and they're about to write an offer and buy their first investment here in maryland using this criteria and i just said i need to put this on a podcast for them and anybody else so the criteria is i want at least three beds i want a minimum and this is important for me two full bathrooms and a lot of homes in our area have one full bath upstairs that are townhomes and they don't have anything in the basement or maybe a half or maybe a rough end, that's it. My preference is to have two full baths. It makes a big difference from a rentability standpoint and people are willing to overlook certain other aspects of a home when they have that option. Uh, it's just the way it is. I also personally no longer invest in the city. The city of Baltimore and I are not friends when it comes to rentals. I've been burned too many times. I choose not to go down that road that path. Uh, many others love it. I had someone on my podcast, feel free to look it up. He has hundreds of them in the city. He's doing quite well. Trust me. He's on the golf course every day. He's loving, living his best life, uh, but he's built a business around that idea and the challenges that exist. He's found ways around them. So it's definitely possible is what I'm suggesting. He doesn't, he will not listen to this podcast and switch his investment, um, you know, uh, path because of what I'm saying, but that's more reason to say, he does what works for him. It's doing what I, what works for me. It's it's great. Uh, and so two full baths. I like to have a finished basement and not like I have to have a finished basement. And I, primarily what I'm doing is I'm identifying the tenant that I want. Because in real estate, the tenant you have is the make or break experience for, for what you, the quality of your life as a landlord will be. If you have a horrible tenant who doesn't pay, you're chasing, they're destroying your property, you are not going to cash flow. 
your life will be hell. I've had this life. I don't recommend it. And it's just, you're miserable. It's not worth it. And so I'm looking specifically for a minimum credit score of 700. I want a minimum 3x of of your current the tenants income relative to the to the list price of the of the lease. So if it's $2200 a month lease, I'm going to want a minimum of 3 times that. So I want $6600 of gross income. And that could be for the family, it doesn't have to be an individual, but I'm looking for the grade A filet mignon tenant. And so I have to invest in areas that can get that type of person because that that person I just described, that tenant, is typically not one that's going to want to live in a run-down house in a bad neighborhood that they don't feel safe and comfortable. And so that's what I'm after. I'm trying to find my tenant. So I will go out of my way to love all my tenants. I am not a slumlord. I'm the exact opposite. I put the best warranty you can put on a property. They're not expensive. I budget it in my model. It's about $600 a year and they get quick service. They know the number to call. They're, it, it makes my life easy. They're not calling me, they're calling the warranty. And it's $100 and I pay it. And so that's one way to diffuse risk, by the way. But there's ways to do this where you're not a slumlord and you can get a fantastic tenant. I also screen personally, I'm busy, but I don't care. I will screen every tenant that is placed in one of my rentals because that is the most important part. I'm not outsourcing that to someone I don't trust. I would, I do use a management company for some of my properties. I can tell you the quality of tenant is different than the quality of tenant when I do it. These are facts. Um, the, per, the I guarantee the people screening my tenants with their company are nowhere near as particular as I am because it's not their little baby that they're renting out, right? It's someone else's and they're an hourly employee just trying to get by. So no judgment. It's not what I do. So you either hire someone that will care that much or do it yourself. That's my advice. And uh, and so be very particular with that. And so getting back to what I look for, um, that's basically it, guys. So I do not like detached homes. I should add that. On average, I I strongly prefer an attached home simply because it's a, it's a, it's a numbers game. You can look at how expensive relative to a attached home they are and I am not willing like I don't I don't will not receive enough cash flow from an attached home they don't rent for a substantial premium uh, so I might be mixing my words here these detached homes that are significantly more expensive don't rent for enough of a premium where it makes sense so I'm going to want to do an attached home at a much re reduced purchase price where the numbers look a lot better that's why I say even if you don't choose to believe that statement and you're like, I love detached homes. And I've met many investors that only invest in detached homes. In our marketplace in Maryland, I I would ask that you run the numbers. And if you do, you might change your tune uh, because that's been my experience. And talk about reduced maintenance and headaches. My Lord, I have little teeny, teeny yards that are required of the tenants to maintain. I don't touch them. It's easy. Um, and easy is what I want. I own a lot of these and I spend maybe two hours a month on them. It's a, it, anybody can do this. You can be, you can be a busy professional and do what I'm describing if you buy the right homes and have the right tenants. So after we go through and we describe all this and we find out where your down payment's going to come from and how we're going to source it, the next thing is to create an actual home tour and not a home tour, a home search, a safe search with all the criteria and the neighborhoods that match that criteria 
And at the same time, I make sure you are fully pre-qualified and pre-approved with a local, that's important, a local lender, and that so, that person can go over all the financials with you to ensure that this is a possibility. I will not show you homes unless you've done that. If it's, no, I'm good for it, man, I'm good. That doesn't work in my world. Um, a lot of people do that. Matt, I got the money, I'm good, I know what I'm up to, like we're good, let's start seeing homes tomorrow. That is the worst advice, and I think I used to cave to that when I was a younger, newer agent because I was very desperate to get someone to work with me. And it's a horrible advice. And if you push her, if you can push around your real estate agent that easily, they are not who you should be working with. They should have, they should listen to you absolutely, but they should have certain guidelines to say this is the process, and we're going to trust the process. And you should feel good enough about the way they describe it that that, that makes sense to you based on the way they described it. And if that's not happening, find someone else. That's just the truth. Um, so after we do all of that, we're pre-qualified, pre-approved. There are two different terms. I'll breeze over that later in a different podcast. But we're going to start seeing homes. And we want to see them and not necessarily try to buy one that day. But I want you to walk through them and see what we're discussing. And then after we do that tour, we're going to run back and run the numbers. You're going to see the spreadsheet. We're going to run numbers. There's no pressure yet. You don't, you're not buying it anyway. And you get to make sure this makes sense for you. And if you have anybody else in your life that's a decision maker in your life with you, they need to be present for that because the worst, even if they're, if it's your husband or your wife or your spouse, or I don't care who it is, your mom, your dad, if they're financially involved and they're going to have to potentially hear you bitch about this a lot uh, down the road, they need to be involved, I think, up front because they need to hear this because otherwise they're, you're going to get questions like you're crazy and why are you doing this? And you need support, not the opposite. Trust me. Um, and so we get them included and then we will describe what it would take to get an offer accepted the offer I'll be writing today for these investors, it has to be a fantastic offer. So it's not going to be an offer that has a lot of contingencies in it. You'll never get it accepted specifically in this market. But in general, as an investor, I am going to typically be waiving all my inspections uh, because the homes that I go through is not a five-second inspect, you know, walkthrough. I mean, I'm on my hands and knees. I am looking at this house carefully to identify potential issues. I'm getting that robust home warranty prior to taking possession so it is covered so if day one something happens in the home and turns out there's no hot water i turn on the water holy crap look at this it's covered right and so i want to protect myself the best way i can and it, it will be repaired or replaced uh majority of the time and i use a one specific company because i know the area manager and the likelihood of getting a claim approved and processed goes up dramatically Insurance companies and warranty companies are like anybody else. They'd love to take your money, not super eager to process your claim and give you services or um, replace things. It's been my experience. So I'm very, very um, selective with who I give that business to. So that's what we do. We go over the terms and we get them prepared. So when there is a house that meets this criteria, we're very quick. I'm talking same day. We can tour it. We can run the numbers in five minutes because the numbers the spreadsheet doesn't change, right? You only change a handful of variables, that's it. And it works. We can write our offer. We close quickly within 21 days on average. If we And we're very flexible. The seller needs a rent back. You're not moving in. Be flexible. So we are the best buyers you can possibly, possibly be. Typically, I'll waive appraisals. So I'm not going to ask uh, the offer to be contingent on an appraisal, even if I need financing. And so you need to be an expert in that area to know if that's a safe bet. 
That's why I'm not running this playbook in different states. I'm not running this playbook in different zip codes I don't know. I am an expert in the handful of zip codes I invest in. I And by the way, you can be the same. It's public information. Like if you pay attention, you too can be an expert. It just takes a little less time on Facebook and a little more time going through listings and public records and open houses and walking through the neighborhood. It's it's not as difficult as people might think it to be. So that's how we get offers. And I close quickly, like I said, 21 days. And now to rent it out, this is the next step. So now <clears throat> I'm going to have possession, let's say, on July 1st, let's just say. I'm taking possession. That's when I close. Let's talk about the next steps because everyone, I mean, I could do three podcasts on what I'm about to describe, but I'm throwing this all in one. So it's a hodgepodge. I might eventually do this in sec sections because each one deserves a lot more time than I'm giving it, quite frankly. But this is my approach. What I do is I'm going to take possession July 1st. I have on the very next day, we'll say July 2nd, just, just saying, I'm going to have set up a rental license inspection for the county if it's required in that county where I invest it typically is. And they're going to come through and do an inspection. It's not a full home inspection, but it's a rental inspection, ensuring it's handrails and safety and smoke detectors and all those things are in place. And I will make the necessary, uh, you know, fixes that are required. I'm not buying properties that I think are going to fail, or if they do fail, it's usually for pretty ticky tack stuff that are under a thousand bucks on average. And then I have all the contractors lined up, handyman. Um, so I can get that done and fixed within a week, typically. Um, simultaneously, same day, I will have a lead inspection because I'm buying homes that are typically older because that's my model. These older homes are built, I mean, they're built tough. They're built differently. I used to sell new homes. There's a difference. Don't, I mean, I'm just telling you, the lumber used alone, just everything about them are just for, like just sturdier. And I, once again, I prefer older brick homes. And so I'll do a lead test. If it's built before 1978, there's a chance there's lead in that home. And so I go only for lead free. So lead free means that they will take a, a fancy gun to, and test every single surface, every wall of that entire home, all of the doors, the windowsills, everything. They're testing and going through the first layer of paint to ensure there's no lead. And it takes a couple hours. It's probably, I don't know, $400 roughly to do it. But if, and then if there's any repairs, they'll tell you where to encapsulate or replace. On average, it's between $500 and $1,000, maybe $1,500 to do the couple items that are needed, in my experience, because I'm not buying things that are original, you know, junk. So it, there typically have been updates done to these homes. So it's not that expensive to get done. And then when I'm done that, I have a lead-free certificate. I will never need to mess with it again. It's registered once. Done. It's fabulous. Uh, and it reduces your exposure to liability for lead. So it's it's the best way to do it. It's the only way I'll do it. So if I'm helping you, you're going to hear me say that to you. And trust me, it makes life easy. You don't have to remember to re-register this every couple years like you would otherwise. Um, so I have my rental inspection done and my lead-free inspection complete. I register those with the county and I'm ready to rock within a week on average, week and a half, two weeks max. And then what I do, I know I'm a realtor. You should put it on the MLS. I don't do that I don't think it's necessary to pay a real estate agent half of the month's rent as compensation to rent out a property. Um, I don't do it. I probably will get hate for that, but I don't do it. Um, I use sites like Zillow 
um, that I can post the, the property directly to the consumer and I talk directly to the consumer. I want no one in between. And if an agent calls me and says, I have a client that's interested, fabulous. If your client wishes to pay you, that's fantastic. Um, otherwise they can come. Um, that's it. That's how I do. That's how I do my rentals. And, uh, and they cost nothing to, to put up there. And if you buy in the right areas, there is a feeding frenzy. I've yet to have more than five days to rent out a property. And this is over years. It's not just like the last year or two market. No, no, no. For decades, at least a decade, decade and a half since I've been doing it, that I can rent these things in a week. Um, and I'm getting great rents because they're fabulous properties. I'm not putting junk out there. So that's the trick, right? Have something people want. Um, I will say you're going to get so many phone calls. I would recommend a Google number that you can get for free and put it all there because you will get so many phone calls. You're going to hate life for a week or two. So definitely get a free Zillow number, uh, not a Zillow number, or a Google number or something like it. There's a million companies out there. That way, you know, when it rings, it's a separate entity. You know, it's not a friend or someone, you know, in my world, my phone rings all day and I don't want to get this lease confused with a potential client or referral i need to answer those i have to answer this number with numbers i don't know all day and so you might have a career or a job that doesn't require that i do so that's why i like to do that a little trick um and i look for a minimum of a two-year lease that's my preference is a two-year lease i really don't like turnover turnover kills you even one month of not getting paid having it completely vacant in the price ranges i'm looking at that's over two thousand dollars maybe 2,500, maybe more a month that I'm getting in rent. That's a ton of money. So I do not want this thing vacant. So I, it typically takes about a month by the time you own the property before your first payment is due, sometimes up to two months, uh, 60 days, depends on what day of the month you buy it. And so my mission is to have this fully rented out. Someone moved in and my, and my income in prior to me having to pay that mortgage company a dollar. So that's the way I look at it. I will not put money into these homes unless I absolutely have to since the day I purchase it. That's just, that's my mission. And then I save money as that money comes in. I save money and I put $10,000 of their money, my rental income money, into a separate account for the property. And that's my little slush fund. I will not use a dollar of that money. That is in case something happens, the roof collapses, something that's not covered by a warranty. I'm not using my personal money ever again for that property and I won't invest that money outside of, you know, a very conservative a fund or something that I can access at any point. That's it. Um, that's how I do it. And after I get more money than that, that's the money I can then use for buying the next property or doing something with. Um, I will not, I call it stealing from my future self. I'm not taking that money and I certainly won't have no money in a slush fund in case something does happen. That's foolish. Super foolish, in my opinion. So that's what I do. I look for a two-year lease. And then once I find someone that I love, that I think is a is a great fit, someone I trust, I then accept it, you know, have them sign a contract. There's a standard contract. There's a lot of websites that have it. I use the Maryland Association of Realtor Lease. You can use any the number of other leases out there. Uh, preferably, you have it checked out by uh, a real estate attorney to verify it's good to go. That's why I use the Maryland Association of Realtors contract. I feel comfortable with it and I'm licensed, so I have access to it. Um, but if you have a management company, they'll have access to one. I'm sure that's good. And I use a company, uh, once I have a lease signed, called Avail, A-V-A-I-L. 
And if you look it up, it's free to use and they will allow you to set up an account for each property that you own and you can then put your lease on there, all the terms of the lease, the amount of money, your security deposit, all that. And then it sends a secure third-party link directly over to your tenant. They sign up. It looks super professional. It's secure. I don't want your banking information directly. You know, I don't want that stuff. I don't want the liability. So this third party does it. And I make it a requirement to have auto pay set up on the first of the month before you move in. It's set up. And so I have your first month's deposit and your first month's rent before you move in. And it's set up on auto pay from then on out. And I'm not chasing you. I'm not accepting checks, cash, nothing. No IOUs, nothing. Uh, it's going to be on a veil. It's tracked. It's secure. You get reminders after five days. There's a late fee. It's done automatically. I don't have to think about it. And that's what I love about it. And what and this is this is a trick. And this is the new Matt Ryan versus the old Matt Ryan who used to want to hear everyone's stories and have a big, big, big heart. And I would never charge anyone a late fee. I would never go after anybody if they were a month or two late. I was such a sucker. And everyone's got a story, right, for all of these excuses. And so in a lot of them are legitimate. But what I'll tell you as a landlord is you have to be very fair, very good to your tenants. But at the same time, I think it almost like children. You know, there's rules. We're going to follow these rules. I'm going to be fair. I'm going to love on you. But guess what? There are rules and we're going to follow them. And so I have an attorney that's local that I use and all my clients use that I refer out. And she handles it. So after the 15th day and we don't have payment, it goes directly to her. She sends a formal letter, legal letter out to let them know the next steps of the process and that their eviction process has just started. It gives them all the rules. The We follow the law. I'm talking to the letter. And I didn't used to do that. And I'm telling you, that was a mistake. And the, if you get a good attorney that specializes in that, they'll take it all the way through if necessary. But what I have found in my experience is if they call me with a sob story, I can have a heart. But unfortunately, I don't handle late payments. That's not what I do. I'm just a property manager. Even though I own the property, by the way, never tell anyone you own that property. Uh, that's another little helpful hint. You were always the property manager or the maintenance person. You are not the owner of these properties. Uh, but regardless, I have nothing to say with it. This is the attorney's number. Please contact her and she will get back to you right away. Um, you can do whatever you need to do. I stay out of it. I'm not involved. So I'm here to support you. If there's any issues with the property, pay your rent on time, work with the attorney if you need to, that's it. Um, and I have had such better success from this. And it's compassionate, in my opinion, because it's fair. And everyone knows the rules and we all play by them. So that's basically it. I get that set up and they move in. And then it, that's kind of it, guys. It's like it, all the pay comes in. Yes, the issues happen occasionally. And I'm renting in good areas to good tenants. And I let them all, this is me personally, I let them know what I do for a living. So I am more flexible if the day comes that they wish to purchase a home of their own because I think everyone deserves to own their own home. Um, I don't want really lifelong tenants. I think it's part of my job to educate, inform, and allow that opportunity to others. So my personal mission is to make sure they know that, and they all do, even though it sounds like it's counterintuitive, like, oh my God, don't you want them to stay forever? I want them to stay for as long as they want, but... And if they're good, I want to keep them. But at the same time, I'd rather as a real estate agent have the opportunity to help them find something. And now they're never going to leave me with one day notice and just pack up or whatever. I just, there, I'll be flexible if you let me help you. And so I have more than two of them pre-approved right now with my lender, one of my preferred folks, uh, to go find something and we're looking. 
And if we find something, I'll be super flexible. They're going to allow showings. I know they won't trash the place. And now they can get their dream to own. And I just think that's an incredible opportunity. So I'm not going to hide from the fact that they might want to buy one day. And I ask those type of questions when I interview them. And, you know, I think it's fair. I, I truly think everyone should own property, period. I think renting forever it doesn't make sense. And I know plenty of people, they do polls on this. Uh, the National Association does polls about how many, what percentage of Americans want to be owners that aren't homeowners. And it's a substantial amount. It's over 40% of Americans don't want to own a home. And specifically younger people, which listen to this podcast, listen to other folks that have done it. I highly, highly encourage them to own something. And it might not be in their local marketplace where they work. It might not, this criteria I just outlined might not make sense everywhere. I know it doesn't, in fact. So you have to kind of find an area and then you can become an expert in that area to invest in everything I just described, you can do remotely. You Once you identify the area, become an expert in that area, you can find local people to trust that are handyman, that are this or that, or licensed. You can do this elsewhere. Um, the only reason I'm not doing this all over the place is because the opportunity in Maryland is so robust and I know it. It's almost like an unfair advantage. If this was the stock market, I'd go to jail. Martha Stewart and I would be in prison because this is not fair. I know too much. I know all the tricks and I know all the key players that sell the homes. It's unfair. It's literally insider trading um, and it's legal. So you too can have an unfair advantage if you find the right partners and do this. And the idea that you can't make my initial goal, just as a goal setting, everyone should have a goal and think big. I wanted $10,000 a month in passive income. I said I made that goal when I was in my early 20s, mid 20s. That was my goal. My God, if I could do that, 10 grand a month, that's 120 grand a year of gross income. My God, I'm good to go. I can retire, tell my boss to stick it and run. And then you get a little older, you have some kids, you have a bigger mortgage for your primary and you go, holy crap, 10 grand goes real fast. That's not enough to travel. That's not enough to cover medical bills. That's not enough to help the grandparents or the this or that or the charities or the other things in life that are important. And you had to make it bigger. Then it went to 20 grand. Now I'm thinking I need 30 or 40,000 a month in passive income before I'll quit. And that number might sound huge to you or it might sound pathetically small. If Oprah heard that, she would, you know, vomit immediately. She, she, she couldn't take it. But whatever your goal is, think bigger, I think, because once you figure this out, it's quite frankly your responsibility to care for those that that haven't been able to figure it out or won't or can't, and and you can help others. So it's like put on your own mask and help others. And so it's part of one of the reasons I like to do what I'm doing and talking about what I'm talking about now. It's even if one or two people hear this and start to even just investigate further, right? An hour podcast isn't going to change your world, but it might be a spark to start the process to, in fact, eventually change your world. And it can be done conservatively. What I'm describing, what I just went through, the the downside. What is the absolute worst case scenario? I bought a home, an appreciating asset in a safe, secure area that over the last hundred years has only gone one direction if you look at a 10-year horizon. And any 10-year horizon or 10-year holding period over the last hundred years, it's been positive every single time. So the, the what's the negative? I you know, what's my average return after fees from my financial advisors? About 7%, 7.5%. Diversified, as fun as you can get. Mine is going to be around 30%. 
and my risk tolerance, I believe, and not even my risk tolerance, my risk, you know, projection is substantially lower than his when he would go it out. I think it's much safer to do what I'm doing. Um, it, it's just, it's crazy. And then what I can do with it after I decide to sell it and while I own it, I can leverage it. I mean, I have so many ways to utilize it that it's just crazy. And by the way, this is like, this is the entryway to invest in real estate, in my opinion. There are so many more exciting, different things you can do that are much bigger, much bolder, much much bigger money. Uh, but what you'll find often is when you have millions to invest at once, or maybe even billion dollars, like some of these funds, it is very challenging to get these type of returns. Their returns go, their cap rates, if you will, like their capitalization rates go way down because they have so much to invest. You, How many townhomes in Maryland can you buy that meet the criteria I just outlined that you can hand select the tenant and do everything I just described? It is very challenging. If you call me and say, Matt, here's $100 million. I want you to do exactly what you do in the zip codes you do it in. I don't think I could do it for you, right? So that's the challenge when you deal with big, big money. But if you're just like me or some, or aspire to have something similar and your goal isn't to invest a billion dollars, but a 50,000 or 200,000 or a million, this is an absolute perfect opportunity for you. And then once you own a few, and if you get your feet wet and you love it and you just, now you've networked and you have other opportunities that start to present themselves, you can leverage them. You can sell one or two of these off. You can group them together. You can exchange them. Uh, there's so many things. So it doesn't mean that this is your end result. It's probably not my end. This strategy outlined is like a little keepsake. It works. Um, but if I continue to do well and and you know continue to have a good living, I might end up getting into much more sophisticated uh, arrangements. I mean, I've I've been involved in private placement arrangements, which are much more <clears throat> complicated. However, the rate of return is like 12%, 10%. It's hands off, but I can do way better than 10%. So there's trade-offs. So I hope this did something. I mean, I rambled on for an hour, but I hope this like kind of went over the framework. I promise you I missed a few points. I guarantee I did. But this should give you an idea as to the thought process, what I look for, what makes sense to me. And ideally, if you're in Maryland or want to invest here, feel free to call me. I don't specialize in working with investors. Most of you are horrible people to work with. No offense. <laughs> you require so much time, energy, and effort. And many of you don't have the desire to really do it. It's just the idea of doing it. So I, I'm just being completely honest. I don't specialize. I don't have billboards up. I'll teach you how to invest. I'm not doing it. I don't get paid hourly. That's not how I make a living. Um, but I'm passionate about it. So I end up doing it for other people because I'm of my passion. Um, it's much easier just to sell a luxury home, quite frankly. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm here for you. I'll be a resource. I know all the right people in our area. And if you're interested in the type of setup that I'm doing, I could absolutely help um, if, if something like this makes sense for you. So I think that's basically all I have. What do you think? Do I leave anything out, Raul? One thing that could be cool afterwards to, to do, because honestly, as you were speaking, I was like, oh, what about this? And then you answered it uh, <laughs> afterwards. But one thing that could be cool is to bring like a, a, a like a loan officer or someone like that, like to to talk about like really specific cases, no, of of people that 
I'm doing, I don't know, let's say $80,000 a year. I have $20,000 that I could put down payment. And uh, I live in X or Y area. I want something near which kind of home could be affordable to me, no? And to say, okay, you can afford maybe $200,000. I don't know. I'm just saying numbers. Sure. <laughs> $200,000. And uh, so with the rate right now, you're looking at about... 1800 a, a month to say something, no? So, okay, you will need to rent the property in 2500 because you need this, that, 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 no? And, okay, let's talk another case. Let's say that you, I don't know, that like really concrete cases could be also right, more really specific interesting. as opposed to this generalization of ideas. It could be really interesting, no? Because it, it can also motivate maybe a lot of people with really specific cases that maybe seeing the thing general... Yeah, and, and the challenge typically, it's my challenge, it's why I haven't scaled even bigger, is what I started off by describing is cash. So I my what you just heard is me describing the, a fabulous tenant that's well-qualified, has zero claims on their record, good, good credit, all the things. That is an, that's a more expensive home. So if mm -hmm. you have 20000 saved, you're not getting that house. It's just not happening. So you have to sometimes pick and choose my first investments were in areas that I no longer invest in. However, I got in the door. I made a couple hundred thousand dollars on the sale of those that I, literally I did a 1031 exchange. Maybe I have to describe what I specifically did. And I bought in areas that were exactly as I just described. Mm. But I could not or would not be able to do it in my early 20s to buy in the areas that I want now. Yeah. But the I bought $50,000 homes that cost 50000 total. And so you, I bought them in cash at the time, but I had a, a lot of savings and I had a good job and I had saved forever and I've been thinking about it forever. And so I had the savings, but at the same time, you could choose to put a mortgage. I could have done 25% down on a $50,000 house. I mean, but it gets trickier. I'm telling you, like some of the headaches, I almost got out of that because my wife hated it so much because of the headaches associated with the areas in which I was yeah. investing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm challenged by encouraging someone who doesn't have the proper savings to just go out there and buy something in an area I think you're gonna find very challenging. Yeah. That's the that's the hardest part of me trying to describe this. And sometimes the best partner is to find someone who has access to capital, because mm -hmm. there are people that do, that are willing to invest, that have zero desire to listen to this podcast, do any of the homework, do any of the work because they have another high paying job or they are retired and they yeah. want to golf all day. They're not trying to do this. So yeah. it might be like finding the capital that could be your first occupation to say, if I can show it on paper and I can explain it front and back as well or better than Matt can, the money you can find and then you can find the opportunity. Yeah. That, that might be the, the correct path as opposed to I'm going to buy the only thing I can afford in a horrible area and deal with the consequences of that decision. That's me. But once again, I am super conservative. There are people that have become millionaires buying in areas. I had them on the podcast. One of the people that do it, yeah. that invest in much lower priced properties and it works for him. Yeah. Um, so it's a, not a one size fits all, but I can tell you, I won't show you homes in those areas. Um, you know, cause I've, I've done it. Um, and yeah. so it's just, it doesn't fit my model. That's why, you know, I'm willing to help those that are willing to have that specific capable set that I'm currently mm. describing. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. 
So the advice, I mean, this is just being real. I, you know, I know there's there, there you could also I potentially invest in a fund that you could, everybody could put together 10 or 20 grand and now you have a hundred grand and you own 10% of something or 20% of something as opposed yep. to zero. Uh -huh. So there's other ways to do it. Um, there are ways to create a partnership agreement. I've created several of those. And that reminded me, I did not talk about the LLC formation, how to separate the savings accounts for your property. Once you have a property, I screw that up. I knew I forgot something. So you'll need to do that prior to renting that out, create an LLC and uh, separate accounts for any deposit funds. But these are details. The overarching theme is accurate, but where there's a will, there's a way. So, yep. you know, you have to have a conversation and, and get it started. So... Um, I know you're interested too about starting it. So it's yeah. At some point, yeah, I I definitely want want to have another property you now and keep yeah. in investing you now. Even for my for my own business, you no, know, for the for the audio video business, you no know, content production business, and That's it. the other thing is also for like you say, family and for the kids, so they can have a uh, if, if it's for school or. A, a place to start so they don't have to rent themselves someday i don't know no yeah um but but yeah like you say in my family also in mexico my dad now is in his 80s and he lives from from his friends he's retired and that was he does and and but yeah we, what we do in, in mexico we basically do commercial we don't do residential so we have uh, warehouses uh, so it's really different kind of business no oh well, i can tell you if I had to say what in five years or 10 years would I be into that I'm not into today, it's going to be modular homes. Okay. I believe that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna get into investing in trailer parks. Okay. And uh, it's, it's a fantastic business model. Um, affordable housing is extremely needed. So not just $2,500 townhomes, you know, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a diversity of needs out there. And so outside of major metro metropolitan areas, there's affordable housing crisis. And yeah. so finding opportunities to find affordable ways for people to live in good homes and trailers in trailer parks are not what sometimes people think them to be. They're actually quite nice. And some parts of the country like Florida, they're very nice. I, mm -hmm. I just had a client yesterday, had a closing. She owns um, one that she bought five minute walk to the beach in the Carolinas. Oh. Right below uh um what you call Myrtle Beach. Okay. And wow. it's it's a double wide basically, but you should see it. It is amazing. And it could be an Airbnb. She makes good money on it and she's event her retirement plan is to go down there. Okay. And that's only like a hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand dollars to buy something like that. Uh -huh. So there's what I'm saying is there are so many opportunities out there. I kind of fall into part of the strategy I'm describing because of the nature of my life and my work. Yeah. Yeah. So do it in Mexico, but I guarantee your family knew the area, right? They, oh, yes, it's yeah. not like you just threw a dart and said, yeah, I'll go there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. And, and uh, the, the, the tenants that we have, a lot of people, we knew them know because of the business line we were in. And yeah. Yeah. I think it, if we went into residential, yeah, we, we, we we don't have the experience that that said no. and and once again as long as the the numbers make sense it makes sense yeah. so it's a numbers game and then but by the way once you hit your 80s and you've owned them for how many years some of these properties yeah my, my dad since his 20s he was buying he was buying the land and yep. developing the, the all of these warehouses That's uh, it. And, and so it's it's years and years and it's years, a no? time is a powerful powerful tool yeah and in real estate 
and everything, even things that sound expensive today, it's why I'm going to suck it up and buy that stupid beach house. <laughs> it's, it's so expensive for what you get and you yeah. can't, your rents won't even cover, not even close, yes. your mortgage. <laughs> and so it makes, a short term it makes no sense, but it's like I'm doing, like I'm eating my vegetables over here so uh -huh. I can have that <laughs> because long term, it's a, it's a goal. It's like, I know I can envision the family and I want to bring the family together when I'm some old fart, they're not going to want to visit me. So it's like, if I have a beach house, <laughs> maybe the grandkids like, right. That is a reason to come visit us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, so that's part of their dream. Like that doesn't show up on a spreadsheet necessarily. Yeah. Right. So it's like, there are things that, that real estate allows us to do. So it's, it's starting with the practical. That's why I tell people own your first home. You own the roof over your head first. And then we work on your investment because if you don't own the, the roof over your own head, I'm going to, if you listen to me, I'm going to help you buy that house first with the intention of not loving it, but it makes financial sense. And then you'll rent it out and move on. Yeah. But we bought it with the intention up front of renting out. It fits the criteria perfectly. And sometimes you have to meld it slightly if you have to have a detached because of your dogs and this or that, right? So sometimes it's not exactly what I described, but we're going to do all the homework. That is the easiest way to do it. Yep. So that if you didn't have savings and you said, Matt, I want to do what you're describing, the fastest way to do it is actually to rent this place out yep. that you own currently and find a home that makes sense for your family yep. and you can put 5% down. Yeah, Actually, what, what my, my parents did it was they bought... The, as when they got married, they bought the, the land where they wanted to put the, the factory and everything. And they uh, raised uh, the, a building. And in the third floor, they built an apartment. And we lived there until I was like six years old. Wow. So they while they were developing their their business, no? And um, then we they bought the home that I uh, grew up in. Uh, uh, but my dad never... He was not buying... Uh, the the uh, like a house, but he was buying land all the time. Like there was no there was no day in his adult life that he was not paying, uh, making payments for for land all wow. all his life, and uh, because also we had a lot of workers, so he also take advantage of his line of business. That oh, sometimes we have people that knew about electricity, knew about plumbing, sure. knew about blah blah blah. So it would if there was idle 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 time. Sure. That's the word. Idle time uh, in the business. Okay, let's continue with the warehouse in X uh, property now. And so, uh, I don't know. I, I think it, that, like you say, for you, this system worked for you. This other system worked somehow for it. For them, it works, but it doesn't have to be. That's why I don't want to discourage people by describing one method that might not fit their their line of thinking or their situation. The reality is, you can make it work. If you're an artist and you want to buy, you can find property that you can make and display art and have as an office downstairs that's labeled as commercial slash residential and live above it the way you described. Uh -huh. You can buy a, a, a home that has three units on it and live in one of the units and it, you'll, it, you get qualified for primary occupancy financing Oh, and you can do it for way less money down than 25%. So there are so many avenues depending on your situation. The things you can control is typically your credit. You got to work on that. And your income, sometimes you have to make sure you have enough earned income to qualify for these things. And But if you go a strictly commercial route where there's more than five units, you can qualify based on the income of the property itself. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to have primary income. And sometimes if you find a really distressed seller 
they're willing to do owner financing where you put nothing down but take over their headache and mm -hmm. obligate yourself to pay them. Like mm -hmm. there are so many ways to do it. That's why it's impossible in a singular podcast, but I'm, if there's a will, there's a way. And if you solve someone else's problem, it can happen. And it, the first property is the hardest. Yeah. It, 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 it's the hardest. <laughs> it's like, you know, I started running again and I'm in a running group and I'm doing this and I'm training. I'll tell you the first couple workouts were impossible. Yeah. <laughs> I've never felt more out of shape and pathetic, but yeah. now it's been a few weeks and I'm getting back into it and I'm feeling better and better. And it's, I don't think it's any different than just going in and doing something and starting so it's like having that initial that inertia necessary to start is really difficult yeah yeah right and uh and so hopefully we're doing some something with this podcast i'm trying to make myself feel like <laughs> oh. we're doing some good out here that's somebody out there because you hear a lot of nationals people there's big names talking about this stuff how many tiny names like i'm still a nobody right so it's like how many nobodies that are that potentially have more time and well, hell, if he can do it, I can do it. Like nothing special. It's a farm boy that managed to make it something out of himself, right? So it's like it's it just shows that I don't know. That's, I love this country. I can't stand people talking. I mean, we have plenty of problems, but the American dream is still quite alive, yeah. and the possibilities for those that want it are out there. Oh yes, yes. And uh, and so I'm grateful to to have been born here and to have the opportunities and those that want to be here and you know and i don't know provide value to the community and it's just like a i don't know it's a beautiful thing yeah I'm sentimental yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm proud to be an american uh, what can i say four of your lives you know, is coming so yeah is that that absolute that time of the year <laughs> that's it hey, july 4th and my son was born on july 4th oh, so right. my oldest son so we celebrate uh, america yeah. This is the America celebration episode. <laughs> Only possible. It's it really is not possible everywhere. What we're yeah. describing is absolutely not possible everywhere. Yeah, that's true. Yes. And so um, I say we. Yeah, when when uh, when we come we got to this country. When one thing that was just astounding for us, uh, Mexican, my wife is Polish, is the how easy it is to get capital to yeah. to get money. It's 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 really ridiculous how easy it is to get a capital obviously you have to be intelligent of how to do it but there's plenty of right. really talented people in other parts of the world that they just cannot make their dreams come true because the capital is not as accessible like here. right um yeah it apps it absolutely is and i think everyone is incentivized in no small way to help i'm incentivized not just because i want to be a good person i'm financially incentivized because i have helped many people learn these tactics and have built portfolios and they come back every year and buy something so financially our incentives are aligned yeah and right. yes we do all these other great things and now i feel like i'm making an impact in their families lives but right it's financially in all the lenders that are lending out this money they're financially incentivized to help lend this money yeah right and so it's like everybody's incentives are all aligned mm. and it's a small world, so do not run over somebody in this little investment world. I will tell you, if you try to make a buck, and I will never screw anybody out of a dollar. And specifically, that's why I was mentioning wholesalers have somewhat of a bad rap, because you can really screw somebody hard, I mean, just horribly, and specifically people that own their home free and clear, they might be older, mm -hmm. and they go, some people, like, they get it on a contract for 50 grand and flip the contract for 150. Oh, 
or whatever, 150 under contract and flip it for 300. You see a clear abuses. Yeah. And it breaks my heart. And I'm like, if I was involved, I give them options. And one of them could be to buy it now immediately as is for a reduction, but a reasonable, moderate reduction that is appropriate. Not I'm going to completely screw you out of your largest asset. And I see it. Mm. And people brag about it on Facebook. And I just think it's the most oh, grotesquely man. inappropriate yeah. thing you could possibly do and i will never associate myself with anyone that does something like that yeah it's the worst yeah, yeah. but i see it so it's like not all real estate investors are horrible sometimes we get bad names <laughs> not every landlord's a slumlord right yeah. that's not true yeah so it's like not every tenant is a horrible tenant right that's not the case so um well, on that cheery note, we've gone on forever. I should let this go. If anyone's listening, we were you doing get 20 a prize. Minutes. It's been an hour and 20. <laughs> I probably, I was like, this will be so fast. I have nothing to say. I'm just, I wrote a little teeny, you know, checklist here. Um, so that's it. So that's where we're going to leave it. And we'll pick up next time. Um, I'm going to interview someone on the next one uh, as well. That's going to be fascinating. So I will just leave it at that and see everybody next time on the Matt Ryan uh, podcast. <laughs>